Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Charlotte, have you ever wondered about the mysteries that our universe holds? Just when we think we've got it all figured out, there's a new discovery that turns everything on its head. Oh, absolutely. The cosmos is full of surprises. And speaking of surprises, there's been a recent discovery that has astronomers rethinking the way they understand planetary formation. Isn't that right, Diego? Indeed, Charlotte. The most common type of star in our Milky Way galaxy, known as a red dwarf, was thought to be too small to host planets much larger than Earth. But a recent discovery has... Hold on, Diego. A planet that's too massive for its star? That's quite a twist. Do tell us more. Well... This newly discovered planet is at least 13 times the mass of Earth and orbits a red dwarf that's only 11% the mass of the Sun. This ratio is over 100 times greater than that of Earth and the Sun. The discovery is making astronomers rethink their theories on planetary formation. And this star LHS 3154, it's relatively close to us, right? About 50 light years away? Correct, Charlotte. And the planet, LHS 3154b, orbits its star every 3.7 days, at a distance much closer than Mercury is to our Sun. It's suspected to be similar in size and composition to Neptune, but... So, we're talking about a giant planet, potentially three to four times the diameter of Earth, orbiting a star barely qualifying as such. That's fascinating and, I must say, quite puzzling. Exactly, Charlotte. The planet-forming disk around stars is only a small fraction of the stellar mass and is expected to scale with that mass. So a very low-mass star should have a disk that is also low-mass. But this discovery... It defies that theory, doesn't it? This discovery raises questions about how planets form around the lowest-mass stars. It was previously thought that such stars could only form small terrestrial planets similar in mass to Earth. Yes, exactly. The researchers discovered this planet by detecting a subtle wobble in the host star caused by the planet's gravitational effects during its orbit. It's a testament to how our advancing technology is constantly revealing new aspects of our universe. It's a humbling reminder, isn't it, Diego? Just when we think we're getting a grasp on the universe, it throws us a curveball and shows us just how much more there is to learn. Absolutely, Charlotte. As our measurement precision increases and we build new instruments, we continue to see the universe in new, unexpected ways. It's a constant stream of surprises showing how much we still have to learn about planets and planet formation. From the mysteries of our cosmos, we now turn our attention back to our own planet. As we continue to explore and understand the universe, it's equally important to focus on the issues closer to home. Let's delve into a fascinating new development in the field of climate change mitigation. Scientists, in their relentless pursuit of progress, have made a breakthrough that could significantly accelerate the breakdown of methane, a potent greenhouse gas. Stay tuned as we unravel the details of this exciting scientific advancement. Charlotte, we're moving on to a fascinating development in climate change mitigation. Scientists have managed to create a process that breaks down methane much faster than natural processes. That's right, Diego. This methane-munching monster, as they're calling it, is reportedly 100 million times faster than nature. It's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely. Methane, as we know, is a potent greenhouse gas, much more so than carbon dioxide, so finding efficient ways to break it down is crucial. 
Now this new process uses chlorine and UV light to create a chain reaction that... Right, a chain reaction that mimics the natural breakdown of methane, but at a significantly accelerated rate. It's like putting nature's process on steroids, wouldn't you say? That's a good way to put it, Charlotte. This all happens inside the MEPS reactor, where the methane is processed. It's a breakthrough that could have a significant impact on our efforts to combat climate change. I couldn't agree more, Diego. It's worth mentioning that Matthew Stanley Johnson from the Department of Chemistry at the University of Copenhagen is a key figure in this research. Indeed. It's always inspiring to see the scientific community working tirelessly to find innovative solutions to the challenges we face. This methane-munching monster might just be a game-changer in our fight against global warming. It's indeed a promising development. But as always, the real challenge lies in scaling up these solutions and implementing them on a global scale. We need to keep in mind that... Absolutely, Charlotte. As with all scientific breakthroughs, the practical application and scalability is the key. But for now, this is a step in the right direction. And let's not forget, every step counts. We'll keep our listeners updated on the progress of this methane-munching monster and other exciting developments in the field. Indeed, Charlotte. It's a fascinating time to be following the world of climate science. The challenges are immense, but the potential for innovative solutions is equally vast. From innovative scientific breakthroughs, we now turn our attention to the broader climate landscape. As we navigate through a year marked by record-breaking temperatures and climate-induced disasters, we also find glimmers of hope in unexpected places. Let's delve into how nature might be our ally in the fight against climate change and explore the latest research shedding light on this critical issue. Charlotte, 2023 has been a scorcher, hasn't it? Record-breaking temperatures, climate-induced disasters, it's been a tough year. Absolutely, Diego. But amidst this bleak scenario, there's some interesting research coming to light suggesting nature might be our ally in the climate fight. That's right, Charlotte. Let's talk about these fungal networks that are capturing a staggering amount of carbon, equivalent to over a third of the world's annual fossil fuel emissions. Heidi Hawkins from Conservation South Africa calls them unseen allies. It's fascinating, isn't it? These fungi are helping trees thrive and absorbing massive amounts of carbon. They might be key in curbing climate change, but it's not just fungi. No, it's not. There's also this study where scientists use data from space lasers to create a 3D map of the world's forests. They were able to measure the health of forests and calculate the amount of carbon they store. Patrick Rurdans, one of the study's authors, says this data could help us target areas that store the most carbon, thereby helping mitigate climate change. But there's also a sobering report card on climate change. Yes, the world's first official climate change report card. It states that we need drastic improvements to stave off the most dangerous impacts of global warming. However, there's still room for optimism, according to Carissa Kaspczyk from Conservation International. Optimism is certainly needed, but we also need to understand what's driving deforestation. A new study led by Conservation International offers some insights. Jonah Bush, the lead author, suggests that the findings can guide policies and investments to fight climate And speaking of investments, there's this report from Ecosystem Marketplace that shows companies investing in the carbon market are doing more to reduce their carbon emissions than those that don't. 
they're even outperforming their competitors in addressing climate change in their supply chains. It's a compelling argument for businesses to step up, isn't it? And finally, let's not forget the landmark UN resolution led by Vanuatu. Despite being among the least to blame, small island nations like Vanuatu face existential threats from climate change. And they're fighting back. Emily Nyrop from Conservation International calls it a hallmark moment for climate justice. It's a powerful example of how those most affected by climate change are taking the lead in demanding action. From the natural world's potential solutions to climate change, let's switch gears and delve into a different sphere of global concern. This next topic may not be as visible as the climate crisis, but it's an issue that's been quietly brewing in the world of scientific research. We're talking about the glaring inequities in global research collaborations. Charlotte, we're discussing a topic today that's been gaining attention, yet it seems that we're not quite there yet. And that's equity in global research collaborations. Yes, Diego, the data published last week by the Nature Index highlighted a glaring disparity. It tracked 82 natural science journals and only 2.7% of articles published between 2015 and 2022 had collaborations between scientists in higher and lower income countries. And even in those collaborations, the ratio of authors from richer countries to those from poorer ones was three to one. And let's not forget that the number of articles that involve collaborations exclusively between researchers in poorer nations was a mere 24 out of half a million articles. That's a startling. It is indeed, Diego. The Nature Index divides countries into two categories based on the World Bank's income groups. The Global North includes high-income and upper-middle-income countries, while the Global South comprises lower-middle-income and low-income nations. And in these collaborations, almost half of the author contributions came from just five wealthy countries, China, France, Germany, the UK, and the US. In contrast, 42 African countries collectively contributed less than 20% of India's contribution. It's a stark reality that... It's a wake-up call, Diego. This inequity in global collaborations needs to be addressed. The Nature Index, which tracks publications and authorships, has acknowledged that quality research from the global south might not be reaching the subset of publications it focuses on. Right, Charlotte. The index is in the process of broadening its scope, However, the existing data already paints a grim picture for many scientists in lower-income countries. The pressure to publish internationally, the higher costs in terms of time and resources, it's a challenging landscape. Absolutely, Diego. It's what David Mills and his co-authors call bibliometric coloniality, higher-income countries setting the rules for what counts as measured research outputs. This narrative aligns with the Africa Charter for Transformative Research Collaborations, which urges publishers to recognize research and collaboration by the continent's scientists. And it's not just about recognition, Charlotte. The Charter also emphasizes that countries in the Global South should drive their own knowledge creation, rather than being dictated by an agenda set by richer nations. That's a valid point, Diego. And this is where databases like the Nature Index can play a crucial role. They need to measure progress in the representation of researchers in the Global South, alongside broadening their subject and publication scope. This could provide a feedback loop for governments and funders to reward projects that help shift the North-South imbalance. 
And let's not forget the need for more training partnerships that help build, rather than drain, resources in lower-income countries. It's a complex issue that requires a multifaceted approach, but the bottom line is clear. We need to level the global publishing playing field.